Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two on this Thursday, August 3rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It is the Extra Point. You can always follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll take your calls. 1115-602-260-1060 is the number. We'll also dive into a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals back at practice yesterday. Yesterday, A little bit of takeaways from hearing from defensive coordinator Nick Rawless. In addition to that, we'll get into Mike Sando's uh, quarterback tiers from The Athletic for 2023. But as we traditionally do to get things started here in the second hour, we'll reset the poll question and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Should ASU and the U of A leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12? Uh, just an item of note as well that the Arizona Board of Regents are expected to meet in a session later today. Uh, right now, the masses, though, this has gotten a little bit tighter. Yes, 56% of the vote, no trailing at 44%. Are those guys in the regions meeting they're going to have like Big 12 t-shirts on or something? <laughs> can, can, we, can, we, can we confirm that? So. I cannot. <laughs> okay. Well, we, need to, we need to get some of, some of our media friends to look into that. Okay. Obviously, if you missed the last half hour, just podcast when we're done and instead of me going through and Kayla going through what's going on the last we heard, uh, we kind of got into that a little bit. Uh, so I, I suggest you do that. So instead of me kind of giving an update that might have changed in the last five minutes for all I know, I'll just, uh, you know, that's the question. <laughs> I will point this out here. We were talking a bit about it off air, uh, and you did bring up a really good point when I had, had said something about, you know, East Coast bias, and a lot of people bring that up. But you being uh, the vast experience that you've had, your your former role, your former life of a nationally syndicated show, you had a perception of when USC was in its heyday. You had that perception of East Coast, uh, you know, listeners, middle of the country listeners being passionate about that school being passionate about following along so if you're good you're good people care you're good you're good you get those really uh good time slots that everyone's tuned in to see how how you perform yeah and that kind of happened for usc football actually i left uh, the syndicated thing uh, i was at, did syndicated radio roughly from uh, 1988 through uh, 2001 and then, you know, USC returned to football prominence. A lot of the time I was doing syndicated radio, USC wasn't very good. But the Pac-12 usually had a team that was good enough to draw national attention or maybe you know, some years, the early 90s, more than one team. It wasn't even USC most of the time. Uh, Washington was unbelievable in those days. You know, Oregon's had their moments and so forth. But And then basketball-wise, the U of A was always good, UCLA – when Jim Herrick was there, no matter how many rules he broke, they were pretty good. Uh, so you know, it was, uh, it was it was there was there were plenty. It was not hard to get people on a syndicated radio program 
uh, unless you're, you know, which was, you know, we had tons of stations in the South. Uh, so, you know, SEC football dominated during that part of the year. But, I mean, it was it was not difficult to generate Pac-12 West Coast discussion on a syndicated radio show, and it wasn't all just all calls from Los Angeles. <laughs> we'll answer this question. We'll finally get to our answer. You probably know what direction we're leaning, but we'll get to it in officially around 1130. Still time for you to cast your vote. KDOS1060.com. Over on Twitter, at KDOSAM1060. Bob had a great conversation. Tim 20 men with Lions.com about the Detroit Lions, the expectations for the year, the win total, over nine wins or under nine wins, and under out in front on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060 at 71.4% of the vote over 28.6%. And it's not very often a team that has not won any division in 29 years is favored to win a division this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, they haven't won any division since 1993. They didn't even call it the NFC North then. Uh, so that's when they lost one division. They won eight of their last 10 games last season. And I don't know of a betting – I haven't looked at every place because I'm not interested in betting on the Lions when they're favored to win the division. But I can't imagine there are really any sports books in the world that don't have them favored to win the division. We'll get into that as well around 11.30. As I previously mentioned, your calls 11.15-602-260-1060. As it is for the Arizona Cardinals, they were back at practice Wednesday. Uh, sounds like things were a little bit lighter, but Aaron Decker will give us the report. The Arizona Cardinals are one week into their training camp and they have mixed their practices with high and low tempo practices and Wednesday's practice was another low tempo exercise. Quarterback Colt McCoy was back with the first team on Tuesday but did not attempt any passes. Also participating in limited fashion was wide receiver Marquise Brown who has been slowly participating more. Offensive lineman Kelvin Beecham did not participate today along with tight end Trey McBride and another non-participant was running back Keontae Ingram who watched on from the sidelines. Last week, head coach Jonathan Gannon did say they would mix up the offensive line throughout camp, and today saw Dennis Daly take Elijah Wilkinson's spot at left guard. Daly had previously been with the second team offensive line. During the final 11-on-11 drills, though, Wilkinson was back in his normal spot. That's going to be it for today's training camp notebook. I'm Aaron Decker from the Arizona Cardinals training camp. Well, I took out of that that it's another day of Trey McBride not participating. We had highlighted that in uh, yesterday's show that it's odd that he's not out there. Another day not being out there. Uh, it sounds like, you know, just kind of making sure that they're doing what they can to keep everyone fresh and ready to go, uh, mixing and matching the uh, physicality of training camp. And it sounds like things might be geared toward something a little bit more physical for Saturday's red and white practice. Yeah, one thing I pointed out yesterday that McBride and uh, you know, Brown were not out there for a few days because of bumps and bruises. That was before they even had contact in practice. What are they doing uh, to have bumps and bruises? I also saw an NFL Network thing yesterday with a live update from Cardinals camp, and Hollywood Brown had this huge thing on his thigh. I couldn't tell if it was a brace or just a wrap, but so that's what's going on with him. 
Uh, interesting. If you are interested in going, though, to the red and white practice on Saturday, the time has changed. It's now 1245 to about 245 for the practice. And uh, it's all free, but you do need tickets. azcardinals.com slash camp ticks. Defensive coordinator Nick Rawless, he met the media. Some takeaways that I had from listening to him. Uh, he sounds like he has uh, a nice personality and, uh, you know, kind of easy <laughs> to get along with joking around. They took away that. They haven't, they haven't played any games yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, his main focus here is that as long as the guys are conceptually understanding things, then he feels like they are doing that. Then it's being a successful start to camp. Uh, that's probably a nice way of saying that there's a lot of mixing and matching and trying to figure out kind of who's who's uh, you know good enough to to make this roster. Who's good enough to to start some games? And there's still some positions of of need that they're going to have to figure out what direction they're going to go. And that's of course the cornerback position uh who's going to be cornerback number two and how close is nick rollis to deciding who it will be and he said not close that it's good competition right now but there's time to see who is going to emerge for that spot yeah i think that he has a the most difficult job as far as you know assistant coach certainly coordinator because there's you know lots of guys on defense that where are they going to play and there's option, There's more options to move people around on a defense than there are on an offense. If you're an offensive lineman, you may not be a tackle or a guard every day, but you're an offensive lineman. I mean, they've got Isaiah Simmons and Dennis Gardak, I guess, has been their best pass rusher so far, which is pretty scary because he's a good special teams player. But I don't think he should be a starting player in any NFL defense. But whatever. But there's more mixing and matching for him to do on the defensive side of the ball than there is on the offensive side, in my opinion. Uh, you mentioned uh, previously here the defensive line. Uh, he felt like they did a great job in the run game in the first day with pads and happy with the competition that they're getting from that group. That's obviously an area that you uh, are going to be paying attention to. That's the one thing I miss most about training camp is, uh, you know, I used to pay special attention. Actually, it was usually me and Kent Summers back in the day. We seemed to be the only two people uh, that were at training camp that paid close attention to the offensive line against defensive line drills when they were in pads. And, you know, who's winning those battles? And, you know, they had most of those battles were, and this is not just the Cardinals, but almost every training camp, uh, most of the uh, just the individual offense and defensive line battles, they're stacked for the defense to have the advantage. And if the offense has an advantage, that's good for the player, but probably not good for the defense. Uh, the other thing kind of going along with what I've been watching a lot on the NFL Network and some ESPN, uh, you know, usually um, the defense has an advantage in training camp at the start. Uh, it was the Cowboys the other day, surprisingly, maybe. They have some offensive players, obviously, but they're supposed to have one of the best defenses in the league. And apparently the offense had a, you know, went to town against the defense. That was uh, yesterday. Uh, but I, I might have been, they might have been talking about the day before. But anyway, uh, that, that, that got my attention that oh, the off, this offense might be pretty good if they're dominating the defense but it's like two days into pads so not gonna jump to major conclusions here um the other couple of things that i took away from from listening to nick rollis and this one stems from uh 
something that Jonathan Gannon says about, you know, what he wanted to see from training camp. And he was definitely talking about physicality. And he also used the terminology, you know, violence, because football is a violent sport. And he's not wrong. It is a violent sport. I guess I just really haven't heard too many coaches phrase it in the way that he does. And Nick Rollis using the similar terminology when specifically asked about Zayvon Collins, calling him a big, violent man. Uh, he's doing and then he went on to say that he's doing great and he has so much versatility because he's kind of being moved around and they're trying to figure out where best to deploy him on the defense. And both those guys are defensive guys, though, too. So I think I'm guessing there's not too many offensive coordinators or guys that have an offensive background as a head coach. They're talking about the violence on the offensive side. Uh, maybe there are, but not very many, at least in this day and age. You know, years ago, that uh, you know, was controlling the line of scrimmage on offense was the way you won games, whether it be college, high school, or pro. Now it's everybody runs a spread offense and try to catch us uh, if you're on offense. Uh, so that's changed a lot. But I'm guessing, just a total guess here, but considering the background of Gannon and also Rollis, that uh, I would be surprised if they weren't speaking in those kind of terms. <laughs> And the last thing that caught my attention here is that he likes the effort and attention to try and take the ball away. He likes that that is a high priority, and that's what he defines as a good defense, and he's pleased where the players are at with that. And that coincides with what he was saying then about Isaiah Simmons, that he's getting better every day, and specifically mentioned excited because he can take the ball away. So definitely placing an emphasis on takeaways and that being almost kind of like a fundamental to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm with you. I like that. I love that. I wish maybe you could maybe go coach for Ohio State. Uh, That would be nice. Uh, They did. They've gotten almost no turnovers the last couple of years, Uh, but uh, longer than that, unfortunately. But yeah, the Simmons thing is interesting to me because, you know, obviously, for people that haven't been with us for a long time, I was actually hoping that the Cardinals could somehow get him before they even were in position to get him in the draft. When he was at Clemson, uh, I just thought that he was a spectacular player, which he was. I've been very disappointed in how little he's done here. And he's had lots of opportunities, and they've moved him around. Vance Joseph moved him everywhere to try to get the most out of him. That didn't work. Uh, so we'll see what happens now. And now he's playing a lot of safety, apparently, early in training mm-hmm. camp in the offseason. I'm a little confused what's going on there because, to me, safety is by far the strongest position the Cardinals already have with Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson. In fact, I don't even know what would be second as the most strongest, you know, the most you know, the strongest position. That's, to me, those are, the, those are two of their five best players, no matter where you're talking offense or defense and uh, I don't know how this all works and to that point uh, coaching staff when asked to you know Jonathan Gannon asked about Buda Baker asked about Jalen Thompson he's provided glowing remarks about them in camp as well yeah that's true yeah and those guys are really good and you know I've been the uh, Jalen Thompson the biggest fan in Maricopa County since even before he got the draft he was in the part that he was the the supplemental draft that one year uh, he caught my attention when he was at Washington State. He wasn't quite as good last year, but he was so good the year before, it would have been hard for him to be as good as he was in 2021, in 2022. So I think he's really good. And, you know, Buda Baker, 
I don't think he's the greatest safety in the history of football, like some people think, but he's really good at what he does when he's put in the right position. He's not great at covering, you know, covering guys, but uh, put him at the line of scrimmage and, you know, blitz the quarterback and play the run. He's really good at that. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll also dive into Mike Sando of The Athletic. He put together NFL quarterback tiers for 2023. We'll do that next. It is the Extra Point on this Thursday, August 3rd, right here on KDOS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to The Extra Point, 1123, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We were joking in break that Mike Sando of The Athletic here is getting a ton of publicity for this quarterback tier that he put together in 2023 that consists of eight general managers, 10 head coaches, 15 coordinators, 10 executives, four quarterbacks coaches, three coaches in the analytics department. They're the one that comprised together uh, how he put together these tiers. Well, he's going to be getting a ton of publicity because based upon timing, we're splitting it up now into two days. So we're going to start here uh, with tier three. We'll go. I'm a little upset that I didn't get, I didn't get a call on this. So I couldn't vote. So I'm going to text him today and let him know that I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. You you should, uh, but we can criticize or critique or applaud now. Okay. Do that. Uh, all right. Um, so we'll do tier three, and I'm only going to do one person in tier three, and then we'll get into tier two, and we'll save tier one for Friday's show. Uh, tier three, it's a quarterback who is a legitimate starter but needs a heavier running game and or a defense to help him. And I bring this up here because it ends up being the 13th quarterback on the list and the first one of tier three, and it's Kyler Murray. Uh, a lot of the sentiment here is that they're anxious to see him respond to the ACL injury. Leadership is a question. There's enough there that uh, publicly from various different people that leadership has to, like, not everyone is making this up. So that is certainly a question mark here for him. And then they also highlighted here that he gives up on too many players plays too quickly to, to see how yes. that development unfolds. I agree with all that. And can he get taller? That would be helpful. Unfortunately, I think now. that's that's done. That growth plate is is closed. That's over. Okay. Well, that's been actually my biggest question, and uh, not I don't think this is totally his fault because his height is a detriment, and uh, he's uh, not able to throw the ball over the middle with success for the most part. His numbers are atrocious, and when you throw over the middle, you don't even have to look at the numbers. You're just watching the games and. Yeah, he has a lot of passes batted down. Now, there's some big quarterbacks, quite frankly, to be fair. The you know, tall quarterbacks that you know throw at uh, an angle where they don't take advantage of their height. Uh, so it's not all just a short guy here. It's not just a Randy Newman thing here. But um, that's my biggest criticism with him is that he just isn't able to see the entire field. And uh, you know, when he's you know, that, I think that reduces his chances of being effective. And that's my biggest question about Bryce Young, who I saw on television yesterday. 
I've seen him many times on television, but he looked even smaller yesterday than I've seen him before. I went, my God, he's really, really small. And I just wonder whether he's going to be, A, able to take the hits. Now, he didn't seem to have a problem with batted passes in college. It's not like there was a bunch of small defensive linemen in the SEC. But I just wonder whether this is going to work for him. It worked for Drew Brees, but he was very savvy and delivered the ball at all kinds of weird and wacky angles. Uh, But Murray hasn't been able to figure that part out yet. You know, I'm curious to see, and obviously it's going to take some time here, just maybe what Drew Petzing has in mind of how to change up this offense. Like if there's a way to use misdirection bootlegs or something to kind of help Kyler uh, with that height and the offensive line just being kind of what the offensive line is as well. Well, just based on what I didn't see any of this, but what I've, you know, from talking to Howard Balzer, and reading other stuff, it seems like there's a much more of a rollout package of offense than there was under Kingsbury. We will find out how that develops. Uh, the first preseason game is coming up here short, shortly. Obviously, the red and white practice is this Saturday from State Farm Stadium. Let's get into Tier 2 from Mike Sando here. Tier 2 is quarterback can carry teams sometimes, but not as consistently. He can handle pure passing situations in doses and or possesses other dimensions that are special enough to elevate him above Tier 3, has a hole or two in his game. Uh, we'll go with number 12 on this list and that's Kirk Cousins Uh, they say smart good leadership command on the offense but can't carry the team and then kind of goes into sometimes how frustrating it is that he can make these incredible plays and then in moments like what comes to mind in the playoff game uh, the fourth and whatever it was but it ended up being just a check down that had absolutely no chance of succeeding yeah, I think that's a very accurate description on your part and also Mike's. So I'll just stop there and we can move on to the next guy unless you don't want to add something else. That works for me. I mean, obviously, I enjoyed watching him on the uh, Netflix quarterback documentary. Moving on. That to- does not surprise I didn't see it, but that doesn't surprise me because, you know, that there was, that was pretty clear in his Washington days that that dude has a personality and te- television should love him. Number 11 here, this quarterback has dropped. Uh, This is now Deshaun Watson going to have to prove his skill set is there at the speed of the NFL. Uh, A lot of the the sentiment behind what I was reading is that, you know, he took a year off and that a a year away from the NFL is hard enough. A year away from the NFL at the quarterback position is probably uh, the most challenging to overcome. So it's now can he match up the physical gifts that he has uh, with the NFL game and get back to, I guess, the Deshaun Watson that people saw on the field in tech in Houston. Not only did he take a year off, it was really like a year and a half. And then if you remember, he was able to participate in camp in preseason games last year, and then he didn't play for like 10 weeks. And you know, that's got to be really difficult. Uh, I really actually really like Cleveland's team. Other than I don't know what to expect out of the quarterback. But they, they have a tremendous offensive line. I said for you know, two or three years running, I think Nick Chubb is the best running back, quote-unquote, running back in the NFL. They have receivers. They've got tight end. They've got a defense that's okay, maybe a little better than okay. I want to really invest in Cleveland, but I can't until I see Watson play some regular season games. So maybe this is like an in-season bet to do something with them during the year. 
Number 10 on this list is Matthew Stafford. The questions are, can the offensive line protect him? Also, the question marks here, will he be patient or will he start racking up those interception numbers? I'm out on Matthew Stafford and the Rams. And uh, the Cooper Cup news from yesterday isn't good. Uh, He's going to be out uh, for several weeks. They think he's going to be back, at least according to ESPN, be back by the start of the regular season with the hamstring thing that went – that went down, or he went down with that on Tuesday. Uh, so we got the update yesterday after the Rams didn't tell us anything after it happened. Uh, so I'm done. I'm down on Stafford. Almost. I'm. And I'm, I was a big Stafford fan. I was a massive Stafford supporter when he took the beating that he did in Detroit. But he's now had major injuries to different body parts. I believe it's two out of the last three years, and the year they didn't, they won a Super Bowl. Yeah, to, to me, I'm actually a little bit surprised that he is this high up uh, in Tier 2 just because those injuries really start to take a toll on you. Yeah, uh, so, he's like 35 or something, right? Something yes, like that. so that's the other thing is I yeah. was kind of wondering if this was just based upon, you know, history and what he has done in the past and not maybe yeah. looking ahead to where things currently stand with the team and himself. Number nine on this list is Dak Prescott. Uh, Turns the ball over way too much. Solid player, but needs to cut down on those turnovers. That's true. Even though I did hear a thing in the last week or so here, which kind of backs up what I thought last year, is that uh, a large percentage of those turnovers last year were not his fault. Uh, We saw a bunch of times when he and uh, CeeDee Lamb couldn't figure out what routes they were running between them. He also had a lot of passes that were deflected by either his receivers, and Lamb was the case here more than once, or the defenders. That's not a good thing. Uh, But it was a combination of all these things. I actually, this is like twice in an hour I've said this, I actually think the Cowboys could be, I've never bought into all this Cowboys hype. It's like Notre Dame football. Every year, everybody thinks they're going to be great because they're Notre Dame and the Cowboys. I'm I'm thinking that they might be pretty good, and uh, maybe the second or third, at worst, the third best team in the NFC. And I actually think they're so good they they would actually be good, they would actually be good in the AFC. How about that? Does two questions: one, does Zach Martin and the contract situation worry you? Two, are you thinking that? We all, as a collective unit, are just kind of blowing Mike McCarthy, offensive coordinator, conservative play caller, a little bit out of proportion. A little bit, but you know, they're not going to play as fast, and he's publicly said that, and that, and the defense is in complete support of that <laughs> because that defense faded because they were on the field for a billion plays last year and rarely off the field because the offense played so quickly and they scored like 30 points a game. So, you know, Kellen Moore, many people believe, uh, maybe many's exaggeration, but I've heard it from more than a few people, that uh, Kellen Moore was more interested in becoming a head coach as to whether you know, what was best for the Cowboys, and uh, that's why he's not in Dallas anymore. And it doesn't seem to be – I've lost, watched a lot of Cowboys stuff the last few days because they're on every day on NFL Network, etc., it doesn't seem like anybody's missing Kellen Moore in, in Dallas. 
Number eight on this list, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, huge jump last year for him. Almost like this light bulb for him went off after the bye week. Hoping for another jump this year. Did note here that it was surprising. Slow to pull the trigger at times. Not as accurate as a pro as kind of what the expectations were for him. I totally agree with the accuracy thing. And he's actually been really bad in the red zone and in some big games. You know, I know they won some big games at the end of the year, and they had the 400-point you know, comeback against the Chargers in the playoffs. The reason that the, the, the Jags were down 400 points in that game is because in the first half, Trevor Lawrence was awful. I mean, bad, as bad as you can be. You know, he put them in a hole and then helped bail them out, along with some bad Justin Herbert play, and I'm guessing he's in Tier 1, which I'm going to lose my mind when that happens tomorrow. But... You know, so, but to me, Lawrence, I'm really disappointed. I think he'd be better now. I know that, you know, I'm not counting the year. The Urban Meyer thing was a disaster for everybody. But I still thought that Lawrence would have been better. And he had some very good moments last year, but he had some moments like, what is he doing? And, uh, and some inaccuracy in that playoff game. It looked like he'd never been in a pressure situation in his life. And he was in a pressure situation from the second he stepped on Clemson's campus. So I'm, I'm confused. Number seven on this list is Lamar Jackson. And there's a lot of hope that with Todd Munkin, it will unleash his talents or expose his limitations. I'm on the expose the limitations thing. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I just cannot believe in Lamar, uh, his accuracy, uh, he has not improved, and I don't care who the coach is. I don't care who the receivers are. His accuracy has been not good. Uh, in fact, I know either last year or the year before, he had the worst uh, you know, downfield accuracy in the entire league. And this isn't just you know, the guys weren't open and whatever, just accuracy, whoever rates those things. And I don't even need to hear those stats from the metrics people. You just watch him play. How many times has he missed wide-open receivers when those guys have actually been open? So I've got real questions about him. And also, can he stay healthy? And I'm not really blaming him for this because he, uh, for better or for worse, whether it's his fault or you know the previous coordinator, he takes a ton of shots. Uh, and I think it would be difficult for any quarterback to survive seasons. And I believe it's now three out of four years that he's been injured at some point. Number six, and this concludes tier two, it's Jalen Hurts. He's made leaps now from 30th to 20th to 6th every year that he's been on this list with Mike Sando. Has to improve consistent accuracy, but he's proved that he gets better over time in a system. He did it in college, and he's done it now with the Eagles. Yeah. I think that's a tremendous assessment there. He really has. I mean, he seems to get better from like quarter to quarter, let alone week to week and season to season. It's pretty astounding. I'm guessing, remind me this tomorrow that he's in tier two because I guarantee you, uh, considering I'm just thinking in my mind who's going to be in tier one, <laughs> there's going to be at least a couple of guys in tier one that I think that Jalen Hurts should be ahead of. 
We will definitely be getting into Tier 1 in tomorrow's show. Once again, this was the Mike Sando of The Athletic putting together NFL Quarterback Tiers 2023 version. It is poll question time, though, as we step aside and we'll get to those on the other side of the break. The KDOS1060.com poll question in regards to ASU and U of A. Should they leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12? And the Twitter poll question regarding the 2023 version of the Lions. Over nine wins or under nine wins? We'll get into that next it is the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 follow along with us online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports those poll questions are coming up next Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Eleven forty-two here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty.com and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by Superbook Sports. It's the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Well, it has reached that point of the program. It is poll question time, and let's toss it on over to the KDOS ten sixty.com poll question: Should ASU and the U of A leave the Pac twelve? for the Big 12? Uh, this is a shocking answer, I'm sure, for everybody. Uh, yeah, you think? Um, anybody that's uh, currently in the Big, uh, the Pac-12 should leave for anywhere they could find at this point. And uh, I don't think there's too many schools that, quite frankly, have that many options. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State, and then Oregon and Washington. I don't. Where does Stanford and Cal go, for instance? I have no idea. Where does Washington State go? Uh, who am I figuring Utah is going to leave anyway. They're going to the Big 12. Uh, not officially yet, but they're going to the Big 12. Colorado's already left. Uh, UCLA and USC are leaving next year. So good luck, folks. So see you later. They should have, uh, I'm sure, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, if I were a member, in an in, in influential member of the ASU or U of A administration, Board of Regents, whoever, I'm sure that they've been talking about this for months. Really, probably since USC and UCLA left for the Big Ten, announced they were leaving for the Big Ten. And that was more than a calendar year ago. Yeah, uh, if you don't leave, then you're going to get left behind on this sinking ship. Uh, Regardless of whether you hate the destruction of the Pac-12, the traditions, the rivalries, if you hate the way the landscape of college football is going, that it's changed so much, that it's money-driven, it's not the the pageantry of football, it's not, um, as I mentioned, the rivalries and and things that kind of make it what, what, what it once was, it's just all changed. Money has changed this tremendously and if you don't adapt with it then you're going to get left behind and you have to have the money coming from somewhere in order to keep pace with what you need to continue to build your programs to be able to recruit uh, you know all of the different things that are going on with the NIL landscape uh, to be able to have the staff to be able to have the facilities all of that takes 
takes money. And um, in order to, to compete, you have to have those media rights deals. And it clearly isn't coming from what the Pac-12 was able to get. And so you have to go ahead and join, I, I think, the Big 12, which I, I can't believe this is where we're at, though, that the Big 12 is now all of a sudden this conference of stability. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> crazy to, to think that we're in this particular moment in time. Uh, but if the Big 12 wants you, uh, then you, you have to go uh, because I don't think that uh, the Pac-12 is ever going to be what it once was. Even though not quite, I don't know about stability. They're they have 14 teams now. They're going to 12 next year after uh, OU and Texas leave, and God knows what they're going to have after that. At least 13 with Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Actually, you know, 13 because yeah, we're minus the two and then I'm going to carry the one and all that stuff. Uh, so it's a it's a mess, and um, unfortunately. Uh, I, think the, I don't think the Pac-12 would be in this situation if they had not been so bad on the field and uh, they've gone through a billion athletic directors at individual schools over the years. There's not been much stability at very many schools athletic director-wise. That hasn't helped at all. But uh, if they had performed better in the field, especially in football and basketball, I don't think it would be to this point, quite frankly. You know, certainly I agree with you with like the Big 12 stability. You're going to have 13 teams next year, maybe more if ASU, U of A, and Utah join, etc. But I, I guess my point more was that Brett Yormark seems to have a vision, uh, and it yeah. seems to be another, another TV guy, by the way. Yeah, that seems to be the direction that everything's yeah. going right. Uh, so he yeah. has a vision, he has a landscape, and it seems like the athletic directors as well have the trust in him to, uh, you know figure out how to navigate their way through this and to put themselves in the best opportunity to to succeed. And I remember uh, a while ago that he had really talked about that there's no doubt that football drives everything. That drives a lot of the, the money that comes with these TV deals. But he could see a future where he wants to be the absolute best, most dominant uh, basketball conference, that there's room to really infiltrate the media market by having, having that uh, quality of teams and they're certainly one of the best basketball conferences if not the best one right now and if you add yeah. like a U of A you're well on your way and I think that that came from when they were potentially thinking about uh, going after UConn is that basketball seemed to be something that exactly. they had really pinpointed an area to hang their hat on and grow and that's smart because they're not going to get better than the SEC in football anytime soon they're not going to at least be uh, economically in the ballpark with the Big Ten. So, you know, we have, where can we make our mark? And, you know, he inherited already the best basketball conference in the country when he took this job, like, what is it, less than two years ago uh, when he got the commissioner job in the Big 12. So they, he inherited that, and it's just gotten better here. And if the U of A, uh, the existing schools uh, have gotten better. Uh, they were good anyway, but it seems like they've even, you know, for the most part, collectively, uh, it's become a stronger conference the last two or three years. And it, each of the years, it's gotten better. And remember, Kansas had a, quote, down year last year, and Bill Self had some uh, health issues at the end of the year. That's not going to last. They're going to be back to where the you know, Kansas is, I assume, starting next season. So that that's the right thing for them to do. You know, they're not going to neglect football, certainly. 
uh, because of the income, but you know they're a basketball conference and they're the best. I don't think there's any doubt that they're the best, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, unless there's just a, a massive shift in talent. And I don't, if you're a talented basketball player, why are you not considering Big Twelve schools? I will add one more thing just because I find it humorous. We're a long way away from the year that the Big 12 announced the one true champion and then they had co-champions in <laughs> bas- in, right. in football, yeah. Uh, yeah the- that was that was, that was a, 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 a CFP disaster for them. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, yes, out in front, 56% of the vote, no trailing at 44%. That's the KDOS1060.com poll question. Tossing it on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Uh, the 2023 Lions win total over nine wins or under nine wins. Uh, you look at their schedule here, uh, certainly week one, uh, game number one to kick off the season at the Chiefs. That's going to be a tough one. Then you're home against the Seahawks. You're home against the Falcons. Those first, those first two games are a rough start. It is a very rough start. Then you're at the Packers. Question marks there about, you know, kind of what Green Bay is going to be at that particular point in time. And then I look as well. Week 16 at the Vikings. Week 17 at yeah. the Cowboys. Week 18 versus the Vikings. So you have uh, the Vikings two times in the last three weeks and a tough opponent there potentially with the Cowboys. So this could be a a challenging schedule here for the Lions. And when I just kind of think about the Lions, I still have a really hard time of just being like, yeah, everything's fixed. Everything's fine. Uh, You know, Jared Goff had a great year last year. He played well. Can he continue to build upon that? Uh, The defense, especially the secondary, has to be better. They obviously addressed it in the offseason. But, you know, is it going to turn around and work itself out on the field i would say nine is a good number i would go nine or under i agree with the nine is a good number i'll add to your schedule thing they have a stretch of five road or four road games and five weeks in december when teams are mentally and physically spent at that point those games are in new orleans at chicago home against denver that's the one home game who knows if they're going to be really good they might be then at Minnesota and at Dallas, Dallas, that's a five-game road stretch, a five-week road stretch in four weeks. That's a killer into the season for them. Now, obviously, they play into January, and you mentioned they play Minnesota again. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But remember, they're an indoor team, and they have an outdoor game in Chicago. And you know, Dallas, God knows what it's going to be in Dallas in December. Uh, they've there's been some bad weather games, cold weather games, snow games in Dallas, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas time. So who knows with that? So uh, I think it's a rough schedule for them. I just you know, I can't bring myself to bet the Lions over nine. Uh, the team that's you know, favored to win the division that hasn't won any division since 1993, but they're good enough that I can't bet it under. And the division is such a crapshoot, in my opinion, that uh, you know I don't know. I'm, I'm confused, but if I had to do anything, I'd actually bet it under, but I'm not going to. The masses are on under at 71.4% of the vote, over sitting at 28.6%. In addition to that, just some numbers. Goff, 3,875 and a half yards if you want to take the over or the under with him. He had 4,438 yards last season. Uh, They also, remember, have rookie Jameer Gibbs at running back. David Montgomery now on the roster. He's at over or under 725 and a half yards. And Ma Raw St. Brown, uh, 1,000 and a half yards over or under for him on the season. We wrap it up here in the Extra Point on the other side of the break.
need social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. Thursday, August 3rd edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is thank you time, but I want to make mention of this here. Brett McMurphy of the Action Network is reporting that Apple's primary media rights deal with the Pac-12 expires at the end of the week. George Kliakoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, presented it to the schools on Tuesday. So essentially they have five days to make a decision about whether or not they're going to accept this deal. Brett McMurphy continues to say here that the proposal is in the low $20 million figure per school annually, but can fluctuate increase based on membership size and subscription incentives. Okay, that's not good, obviously, in any way. Uh, quickly, let's whip through the thank yous. You all know who you are if you need to be thanked. Uh, we'll also like to thank uh, Tim Twentyman, who covers the Lions. I'm so happy for Tim because he gets to watch a good football team after all these years. Good for him. Uh, Tim from Lions.com. Also, we'll conclude our NFC North previews tomorrow at 9-15 with the, uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. And Kayla's going to uh, tell you who the sounds courtesy of today. That's right. Pac-12 Network, Fox, Major League Baseball, WLW, Detroit 97.1, and WFAN. Okay. Also coming. And so thank. Oh, yeah. Thanks to everybody that needs to be thanked, thank, <gasps> including you, of course, Kayla. Thank you. Thank you very much. Coming up next as well here on KDUS AM 1060 at a sports map radio network from noon to one o'clock, followed by the Doug Gottlieb show from one to three, the Rich Eisen show from three to five and the sports zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from five to six. Uh, One thing we haven't mentioned yet so far today, there's actual football. The Jets and the Browns in the Hall of Fame game today at 5 p.m. Oh, on NBC. Wow. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, a brief. Damn, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss that <laughs> because I don't because I could care less. But I, I didn't even, I forgot, didn't even know they were playing today. I guess I did know and just forgot. A brief reminder about who the 2023 Hall of Fame class is. It's Rondé Barber. Uh, he played from 1997 to 2012 with the Bucks. Don Coriel is a coach. 1973 to 1977 with the St. Louis Cardinals. 1978. Former Cardinal coach. That's right. Yeah, yeah, 1978 yeah, yeah. to 1986 with the San Diego Chargers. Uh, Chuck Howley, linebacker. 1958 to 1959 with the Bears. 1961 to 1973 with the Cowboys. Joe Klecko, uh, 1977 to 1987 with the Jets. Uh, Darrell Rivas, Rivas Island. Uh, He played with a numerous amount of teams. I'm skipping over that. Ken Riley, uh, cornerback with the Bengals from 1969 to 1983. Joe Thomas, offensive tackle, 2007 to 2017. I can't believe this. 10,363 consecutive snaps, and not one of those snaps was ever in the postseason. Insane. We need to go through this tomorrow. We got more time. Another one of your duties is to remember this. Okay, Zach Thomas, he's also going in, and Demarcus Ware. So we'll dive into this more in tomorrow's show, along with Mike Sandoz. Quarterback tiers for Tier 1. Also, the Phoenix Mercury are hosting the Atlanta Dream tonight. Diana Taurasi is 18 points shy of reaching 10,000 points in her career. That gets started today at 7 p.m. Thanks for listening. 
It's Friday spread tomorrow.